preaching through the Apostles' Creed. And if you aren't familiar with it, I'll have it on the screen. It's also on the back of our bulletins. And we say every single week, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, and this is when we say, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, Christians often know why the earlier parts in the creed are good news. We get it. We get that Jesus died on our behalf. We get that he was born for us and he came into this world to serve and, and lift us up. He came uh, to, to, to die for our sins in our place. But why do we believe that that is good news? Last week, one of, the, one of the ways that's really helped me understand the creed is to think about it this way. Everything that is said about Jesus is for us and for our salvation. Jesus was born for us. He suffered for us. He descended to the dead for us. Everything he does is pure gift given to us. He didn't have to do any of these things, but out of his love, he did them. But that means that God's Son was free to be in heaven where he belongs, and he could have chosen not to come to us. And if that were the case, I don't know what the nice way of putting it is, but we would be out of luck. We would have no other appeal. We wouldn't have the gift that he's given us. We wouldn't have the salvation that we need. So if heaven is where Christ belongs and he freely comes to us, then there must be some good news in there. So I want to walk you through the passage we heard from Acts as well as connect it to the, the letter that we heard uh, called, called Philippians. And I, I want to walk these, through these things because they both talk about Christ's ascension, and I think they help explore why it's such good news. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 1. We have these black Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. Um, Acts chapter 1. It's on page 882 in these black Bibles. So this book, the book of Acts, is the second volume of a two-part series written by one of the earliest Christians named Luke. He was probably a doctor, and he was a great investigative reporter. He actually interviewed eyewitnesses of Christ. He recorded them for us. And in this first chapter, he kind of summarizes what happened at the end of his first book. So he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, 
But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this question is so important for us to understand because the disciples were expecting for the resurrection to be the end of the story. I mean, Jesus came back from the dead. He's never going to die again. He is clearly the long-awaited Messiah that we've been waiting for. He is the one who's going to kick out the oppressive Romans who are ruling over us. He's going to restore our kingdom. So they say, Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They think that this is the end of the story. But it's not. Jesus says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the end is not happening right now. I still have a mission for you. You are going to be my witnesses. Now, we're used to the word witnesses in a court of law, but for Jesus, this means telling anyone and everyone who will listen that he has been raised from the dead. That's what being a witness means. That's their job. That's their mission. The story is not over. It is just beginning. And in verse 9, after Jesus says this, he's taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, this part of the passage is so helpful. It clears up any misconceptions we may have about the ascension. Basically, the two angels appear and say, hey guys, why are you looking up? He's not just really high up there. You cannot book flights to go see him. He is in another realm, okay? You cannot visit him. He is in heaven, but don't worry. He's going to come back. Just do what he told you to do. So the disciples, they get this message from the angels. They go back to Jerusalem, and they wait, just as Jesus said. They receive the Holy Spirit, and they start carrying out this mission that Jesus has given them. One of the most famous of them is named Paul, and he goes all the way to modern-day Greece to a city called Philippi, and he starts a church there. Now, he doesn't just start a church and never talk to them again. He writes them letters instructing them on how to follow Jesus, and we heard that letter read to us this morning. But we know the occasion of that letter is a huge fight between two influential women in the church. Because in chapter 4 of that letter, Paul writes this. He says, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I ask you to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with the rest of my co-workers. Now, we have no idea what this fight is about. We don't know uh, 
what is going on between them, if it's just a disagreement, or one of them hurt the other. But Paul directly tells them, be of the same mind in the Lord. And we have heard that phrase before. Because earlier in that letter, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Do you see what's going on here? This church has received the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Jesus told them would happen. They spread out exactly as Jesus told them to do. But that doesn't mean they're perfect. They still have problems. So Paul writes a letter to them saying, I plead with you, be of the same mind in the Lord. And that's when this beautiful hymn, this beautiful worship song is quoted by Paul. We heard it read this morning, and so many scholars believe that this was actually a worship song. Just listen to these lyrics. Being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Paul specifically quotes the ascension, refers to the ascension. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is why the ascension is so important. It actually applies in this situation between these two women who are having some sort of fight. Paul says, look at Jesus' life. Look at what he's done. He belongs in heaven. He was free not to come to save us, but he humbled himself. He took the nature of a servant. Yudia, Syntyche, you don't have the name above every name. You are not in your very nature, God. No one should bow their knee to you, but you are acting more high and mighty than the Almighty. You are more proud than Jesus. And Jesus has accomplished a few things in his life. Whatever the issue is between the two of you, have the same mindset as him. If you just had a fraction of his humility, you would not have these issues. This is why Christ's ascension matters so much. Heaven is where Christ belongs. When he ascended... It was a return to heaven. He wasn't going for the first time. He wasn't visiting. This is where Christ belongs, on his throne in heaven where all the angels sing his praise. But Christ freely left heaven for you and for me, purely out of his love, purely as a gift, without any contribution from us, Christ left heaven. And if Christ freely left heaven, heaven for us. The good news is that God is humbler 
within us. He could have stayed. He didn't have to do what he did. But God is humble. God is willing to come to our level. God will come to us even when we're arrogant and prideful. And so if Philippians 2, that whole section that I just read, really is a song that the early Christians sung to each other, what Paul is saying is, put your worship into practice. Act like the Jesus you sing about. You say, you say, you sing it to each other all the time. He humbled himself. And if you worship him for his humility, the fact that he came to us, why don't you put two and two together? You're fighting each other. You're arrogant. You don't have the same mind. But you should have the same mindset as Christ. Every week, uh, Ben puts together all of the songs that we sing in conjunction with the passage that we read. And he puts a ton of time and energy into this. And he does this. And I know this to be true of Ben. He believes that our worship shapes who we are. The way we worship ought to transform the way we live. The songs we choose, the lyrics they have, the way we sing those songs, the prayers we pray, the communion we share in, all of it is meant to shape us, to transform us. When we hear in the prayers of the intercession, someone come up here and mention the names of the people in this church, that is meant to transform you. What you could do is go up to that person that you heard in that prayer and say, how are you doing? When we sing a cappella, we are being formed to rely on each other for everyone to sing and everyone to contribute and all voices to be heard. When we confess our creed together, we stand while we do that because we're saying we will not back down from our faith. All of worship, all of the different ways we worship transform who we are, and Paul believes that. He quotes this hymn that they sing back to them because he believes worship transforms us. I was part of a church for a while that invited everyone up to the front for communion. And I had grown up in a church where we all received communion in our seats. But each week the, the minister would invite us up and we would kneel at a bench. And the minister would come around and give each person the bread and the cup. And the, the church was so small that the minister knew each person's name. And each time I would kneel and hold out my hands and he would say, Mitch, the body of Christ broken for you. Mitch, the blood of Christ shed for you. And it shaped me. Because it wasn't just a, a general audience that he was speaking to. He was speaking on behalf of Christ and saying, this is for you. Each week, one member of that church named Phil helped one of the older members of our church walk up to the front. She couldn't walk unless she was in a, uh, had her 
pain with her, and so he would hold out his arm like this and walk her up to the front. And he would kneel down every week and hold out his hands above his head and receive communion that way. Because he knew he needed the bread and the cup that Christ gives to us. The way that they worshipped, the way that they received communion transformed me. Because the way we worship transforms the way we live. A while ago, Galson brought home this book called Every Moment Holy, and it has a lot of different prayers for a lot of different occasions, and one of the prayers is for a husband and wife at the close of day, and we've been praying it together, and I just want to read one of the sections. It says, we, we say this together, we are weak, we are jealous, we are easily wounded, we are petty, we are embittered, we store up remembrances of wrongs. We are insecure, we hurt one another, we do not deal with our conflicts well. We fail to love as you, Christ, have loved us. Forgive us even the failures of this day. And then in italics, the book says this, Silence will be kept. If either husband or wife has need to make amends, they may do so now. That's when we say, who wants to go first? <laughs> It has been so challenging and so important because it's not just the way we worship in church that transforms us. It's the way we worship outside of the church that forms us. How we worship and pray and eat in our homes, at work, on vacation, shapes and transforms us. Paul believes this because he quotes a hymn back to the church that sings it and says, you need to remember this. You better not sing these lyrics to Jesus if you're not going to act like he did. Jesus belongs in heaven. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We should all bow down to him, confess his name, and worship him. But do not resist. The way that you worship ought to change you. He already has the name above every name. You're not going to give it to him when you sing. He's changing you when you worship. And that's why the ascension is good news. Christ humbled himself. He took the nature of a servant. He is way more humble than we are. But he returned to heaven. And from heaven, he transforms us through our worship of him. That's why we believe and confess every week. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that heaven is where you belong. You didn't have to come to save us. We didn't earn your salvation. You came freely. You left 
You were sent from the Father to us. You left heaven freely. You humbled yourself. You took the nature of a servant. You died a humiliating death for us. We're in awe of what you've done for us. We pray that as we worship you, in gratitude for all that you've done, that you would change us. You would use the lyrics of our songs and the way we do communion and so much more to change who we are. We want to be humble like you. We want to be transformed. We acknowledge and celebrate today. You ascended into heaven. And there you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Let's be standing.